The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like to open your Bibles now, if you would please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. And our subject again this morning for a third Sunday morning is the fourth commandment. And this is the one that the preacher really likes because without this, Sundays would be a very, very lonely day uh, here in church. Now, for two weeks, I've been talking to you about the importance of the commandment, that it is the longest of the ten. There is more argument to establish this commandment. There's more explanation of its terms than any of the others. It's the only one that is both positive and negative in its direct commands. Now, all of the commandments have positive and negative implications, but this is the only one that says what you shall do and what you shall not do. The text of the fourth commandment begins in verse number 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Let me take you back for just a minute to the two previous sermons, in both the introduction to the command and the first part of the sermon, I tried to nail down that the fourth commandment is the one that we break with the most impunity and the one that we have the least remorse for doing it. Many Christians think that there aren't any repercussions to breaking the fourth commandment, and we'll see a little bit later on that that's not true. And most people don't kneel before God and repent and ask forgiveness when this command is broken. And in those first two messages, I tried not to let you off the hook on that point. This command also comes as the summation of the uh, first four, first three commands of the law. Because God is the only God, because God is to be worshipped only in His way, because God's name is holy, because God is strictly to be reverenced above all others and because 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 we're to stop what we're doing and we're to take this day to worship the one true and only God and God doesn't ask too much from us when he tells us to worship him on this day he could ask for two days he could ask for four days he could ask for three five whatever he could ask for one half day of every day he, said, he could have said you must worship corporately every day of the week, but he doesn't. All that God asks is one day out of seven, and if he should ask for others, that wouldn't be an unusual thing. It would be an unreasonable thing. It wouldn't be an unwarranted thing, because he is the one who creates us. He's the one who gave us life. Now, perhaps uh, you're ready to move on from that part of the sermon. Uh, those are very convicting demands. And I would expect that those of you that have heard the first two sermons, you would sh- surely you would be here to 
hear the third one and all the following sermons unless divine providence had kept you from being here. And so your attendance today hopefully will tell us that we're able to move on from this particular point and then go on to study the rest of this text. The point has been taken, hopefully, how important Sunday is. The Lord's Day is a Sabbath to be hallowed to Him. Now this morning, all that I'd like to do regarding those first two messages is to remind you of the only point of the outline that we've talked about thus far, and that is that we are to remember the day. The first word in the text is remember. Remember the Sabbath day. God said to Israel, don't forget what I told you to do from the time that I created you. The Sabbath is a permanent principle that's been put into the heart of man. It's an order of the creation. God gave man a seven-day cycle to count time, and that was peculiar to Israel since all other cultures of their time based their calendars, their cycles upon the lunar calendar, upon the sun, and so forth. And uh, Israel was the only one that worshipped and had their worship day centered upon this seven-day cycle. Now, it's not that the others shouldn't have known it, Now this, as I said, was a creational principle. It was given to Adam, and Adam was God's man, and Adam was a saved man. And it wasn't until later that the culture perverted this, and they began to worship the other gods and so forth, and that's how you got time kept on the lunar cycle and and on a yearly cycle and not counting on seven days, as Israel did. But the, the, uh, the arrangement stands today because it is a creational principle, and today that principle prevails all across the world that the world recognizes weeks of seven days. And there isn't any way for the atheist to, to uh, account for that. And when he argues that we ought to do away with all references to God, and he says the government ought to do away with God in our government, why doesn't he ask the government to do away with the seven-day cycle? Because to acknowledge it is to acknowledge God. God's the one that gave it. We wouldn't even do this if it wasn't for the fact that it's found in the Bible that God gave it as a creational principle. God said, remember the day. And it's to be a perpetual ordinance unchanged since the dawn of time. Well, I say unchanged. There is one change. Not that we have seven days and one is to to be used to honor God. But the day that we honor God has been changed. Now in the Old Testament, it was the seventh day, that is what we would call Saturday. Uh, The Jews worshipped on Saturday. That was because of the creative principle. God finished the creation in six days and rested on the seventh day. But the day was changed because in Jesus' time, there was the spiritual recreation of man. It came about because of his resurrection from the dead. That's what said that people can be born again. And so the day was changed from the commemoration of the creation to commemorate the day that Jesus arose from the dead and recreated man and gave him the new birth. So Christ arose for our justification on the first day of the week, and now that has become the day that we are to worship God. So that's what we looked at in the first two sermons, how the day was changed and why that God says to remember today, the day. Now, I'd like to go on today to speak of the positive and the negative aspects of the command. Let's consider what God has told us to do. The second thing that we need to look at is that God says to rest on the day. That's the positive aspect of the command. And we find it in verse number 9, which says, Six days shalt thou labor... And do all thy work. 
Now, while we're remembering the Sabbath day, I also want to remember that Sabbath does not mean seven, that Sabbath means rest, but the command doesn't actually begin with rest, it begins with work. And it begins with work so that we're able to contrast it so that we see that rest is different from work. And what are we to rest from? We are to rest from work. Jesus said that man was not made for Sabbath, the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man, and that was made to help us. The Jews had used it to enslave the people to the Sabbath with all the extra rules and regulations that they put upon it. They didn't use it the way that God intended. But the Sabbath was made so that we wouldn't overdo ourselves. The Sabbath is made to help us. It's made that we would not destroy ourselves. And this is what we do. We have a tendency to do this. We destroy our minds, our bodies, when we overtax them. And so God said, worship me on this day. And when he said that, there's also the thought that there are benefits that come from this, not only that we are to worship the one true only God and only God, but also because it's good for the man physically. Not just the spiritual is considered here. It's good for the person physically to rest on this day. And so the whole man is blessed and refreshed. By obeying the command. All the commandments are like this. Obeying them is good for you from many different aspects. So not only do they keep God's negative judgments away from you, but they also keep you sane and well. They benefit the whole makeup when you faithfully obey them. Now we look then at the first thing that God says to do. It's a positive command. He says, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. And we ought not to overlook that. And I think many people do. We, we think so much about it being a command about the Sabbath, about Sunday, and about rest, that we overlook that God has a commandment here for each of us. He says, six days you shall labor. And I'm afraid people think that God has cursed us when he said, you shall work. But work is not a part of the curse. I've heard it said many times that, that work is part of what God did in that curse, that God cursed man when he fell, and in that curse he made man to work. That God told Adam, because of your sin, you're going to have to toil and sweat to till the ground. That part is the curse. But work itself is not a curse. The curse is that the ground would no longer readily yield its increase, that thorns and thistles would grow up, and that would hinder the work. It would make it harder for Adam to tend the garden. But work itself is not a curse. This is what the scriptures describe before the fall in Genesis 2.15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So Adam had a job from day one. From day number one, the labor statistic was 100% employment. God said, you have got to work. He said, Adam, go to work. It wasn't a curse. Idleness is a curse. Having nothing to do is a curse. And so when Adam went to work in the garden, it was enjoyable work. Tending God's garden was not difficult for him. It wasn't done in blood, sweat, and tears. But now you ask a farmer, is your job hard? Is it difficult for you to till the ground? Well, he might tell you that with modern farming techniques that it's easier than it was but have you noticed that tractors have lights on them now the farmer plows larger portions of ground uh, I've traveled down I-5 many times in the dark when we're going to San Diego and they're out in the fields I see tractors with their lights on as they're 
tilling the ground, plowing the ground, bringing up the crops, and bringing them in from the harvest. The days aren't shorter for a farmer because he has modern equipment. And what we ought to do is thank farmers for the hard work that they do in providing us to eat. Work is not a curse. Work was ordained by God before the fall, and that tells us that it must have been best for man and that it was part of his divine plan. And so when anyone goes to work, including the atheists, it's because God made it that way. And of course, in this modern age, when you have so many people that are averse to work, this is the perfect place to insert God's judgment upon those who will not work. This is what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. He said, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. That's an interesting verse because Paul was talking to Christians. Churches are easy targets for those who won't work. Churches are known for kind and benevolent acts, and we should be. And because we are, we're often the subject of abuse by those who believe it's their right just to waltz into the church and ask for money. And we encounter that often. Uh, it's always strange to me the brazenness of some who will hang around the outside of the church until a service is over. And then they'll come in to ask for money. I mean, they don't care enough to come into the church to see what we're doing here and to recognize that we're serving the Lord here. They don't have that decency to do that, but they hang around the outside and then they come in and they expect that the church ought to give them money. And it's like this, that we don't have anything against the poor, but for many people, poor being poor is a business when handouts are easy to come by. Over the years, I've had many people that come in and ask for money, only rarely, it's happened occasion or two, but only rarely does one of them say to me, do you have some work that I can do to, to earn some money that you can help me? Now, what if I were to say to them, um, you know, we don't demand anything of the poor, but what if I were to say to them, well, well, we're willing to help you, but we've got weeds to pull outside. We've got work for you to do, and you can earn some money. You know what they would do? They would look at us as the freak church. What are you talking about? Do work for money? Well, they're not going to do that. What does the Bible say? If you will not work, you should not eat. Paul didn't like slackers. He also said this, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worth than an infidel. Now, again, the interesting part about these verses is they're, they're all written within the context of the church. That you're not to go to ask the church for money, at least if you've not done everything possible that you can to help yourself. The church can help the poor, but the church is not a money factory for lazy, careless people. Now, you know that I would just love to spend a lot of time today discussing uh, the welfare state with you. I mean, there are many in America that think a living is owed to them. And the government agrees with them much of the time when it taxes the rich too much unfairly to redistribute their wealth to people who will not work. Wealth redistribution rewards laziness and it punishes industriousness. Now, the Bible tells us we ought to work. And here, here's the thing about it. You're not entitled to my money. You're not entitled to my money. I might give it to you if I want, but you're not entitled to it. And so it's wrong for the government to have a tax plan that doesn't affect the rich and the poor alike. 
mean, that's what God does with the tithe, doesn't he? He has a fair plan for that. Everybody pays the same percentage, and that's my tax plan in case the Republicans and Democrats need some help on that. God said, you shall work. Six days you shall work. Now, I'll let you figure out if God says it's all right to have a 32-hour work week or a 40-hour work week. Perhaps God knew this, that cutting down the work week would leave too much time for complaining and just plain old getting into too much trouble. You keep people working and they don't have time for foolishness. And then while I'm on this, I just have to ask the question that what's happened to the constitution of man that a 50-hour work week is too much for people to bear? I mean, we act like we're going to die if we have to work overtime. What's wrong with people today? You know, I remember my dad, that his work week was more like 80 hours a week. Uh, The church couldn't support him fully, and so for many, many years he held a construction job And he would go to work every day. And then he'd come home at night and he would go into his study. And he would spend hours in his study. And then on Saturdays he would spend all day long. And then Sunday he'd do the work of the church. And he did that without complaining. But I'll let that go for now. What's happened to us that work is just too much for us? God said, you shall work. But he also said this, you've got to work six days. And you do all that work to glorify God. And God said, you got six days to get all of your work done. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. And so he's telling us here, don't take more than six days to do your work. And that's what gives us the contrast. Work six days, that's the positive command. Stop working on the seventh day is the negative command. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. I want you to notice letter A in your listening sheet. This is exclusions. Now, it's clear enough, it should be clear enough for us, that the Sabbath day is not a day for work. This is the exclusion. You're not to work on the Sabbath days. The work that you do in six days, the normal work that you do, is not to be done on the seventh day. And so the office is not a place to be on the Lord's day. The department store is not a place to work on the Lord's Day. The mechanic at an auto repair shop is not to work on the Lord's Day. The construction worker is not to build houses, and the plumber is not to plumb, and the electrician doesn't wire, and the bricklayer doesn't lay, and the roofer doesn't roof, and the drywall man doesn't hang on the Lord's Day. And you can just plug your job in there. There are six days to do labor, not the Lord's Day. And so you have six days to get that done. And he says, don't touch his day. A few weeks ago before the, or after the Sunday morning sermon, I was in my office. I got a call from my wife who was at home sick. And she called me and she said, the landscaper is here and he needs to talk with you. Now, I didn't know that he was going to be there, but he was there on a Sunday and he'd come to install some artificial grass. And I was very upset about that because... I don't want my neighbors to think that we work on the Lord's Day. So I don't have anything done at my house on the Lord's Day. Do you know why? Look at verse number 10 again. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. Now, we might have a tendency to say, you know, I'm a very holy person. I am a holy person. I'm not going to work on the Lord's day. So I'll get my son to do it for me. 
I'll get someone else to do it for me. I'm not going to work on the Lord's day. In their time, they would say, I'll get my servant to do it for me. Or we would say, I'll just hire somebody to do it. I'm not going to do it on the Lord's day, but they can. Well, here he's telling us we can't be pious and say that we're not going to work, but we'll call the plumber to fix the toilet. Or we'll call the appliance repairman to fix the washing machine. One day of the month, we hire uh, Mina's aunt to come and clean our house because my wife isn't able to do much. She doesn't come on Sundays. One day last year, our air conditioning broke down on a 90-degree day, and I called the repairman, and he said, well, the first day that I can get there is Sunday. And I said, don't come. We're going to be hot on Sunday. Oh, there's six days that we get work done, and that means you or anybody that has anything to do with you. God planned it that way. The creation was done in six days, and God didn't do any touch-up work on the seventh day. He rested. He was done. And that's the principle that he gives to us. Get your work done in six days and rest on the seventh. And he did that because it's good for you. He did it because there's a tendency to overschedule ourselves. We're so busy that we want to take our time and take God's time too. And what that does is upset God's order. We don't have right to God's time. But I know that there are some who say, well, I just can't make it. I need overtime. Double time on Sunday is good. If I don't work seven days, then I'm going to starve to death. There was a young man who came by our church on a regular basis, and he didn't come to ask us for money. He came to give us money. He would show up and he would hand us a $20 bill. Some days he would give us $40, and I would ask him uh, about that, and I would ask him about his salvation, invite him to church. And he said that he was a Christian. And I think that giving us $20 was a way of soothing his conscience just a bit because he didn't go to church. And so I asked him, why don't you come to church on Sunday? And he said, I can't. I have to work. And I think maybe he was working two jobs on the weekends. I, I believe he was doing freelance work in order to make more money. Now, do you know why the God said you don't work on the Sabbath? Well, we've already talked the, about the idea of worshiping him, but also because God wants you to trust him. He wants you to, to trust his provision, that he can take care of you better in six days than you can by working on in seven days. It's the same principle that he gives us with the tithe. He says, I can do more with the nine-tenths that you have left over than if you kept it all for yourself. And it's the same principle that we find with the Sabbath day, with regarding the Sabbath day, that God can do more for you. He can provide more for you through your obedience. You don't need to work those seven days. God will take care of you better in six, and you will survive if you obey him. I notice this also in the, in the 10th verse. God said you can't make your cattle work on the seventh day. Most of you probably don't have a cow at home or an ox, but the principle is here. Let the ox rest too. You know why he says that? Because you'll kill it. You'll kill it if you overwork it. You don't work him too hard. That's a principle of creation. That's what he's trying to get us, get it into our minds. This is all a principle of the creation. You don't need the extra money from working on the Lord's day because you can trust him. And if you go ahead and you do it anyway, God can take away all the advantages that you think that you gained and it'll be just like taking your money and putting it in a bag with holes. Let's go back for just a minute to the story of manna. We were talking a little bit about it last week and the week before. 
that God told Israel, don't collect manna on the seventh day. He said, do it in six days. There's not going to be any out there on the seventh day. Don't even bother to go out and look for it. But what if there wasn't going to be any manna one day after, if that's what they had in their minds? Well, they didn't need to worry about that because God is the provider. What we do is we let God be God. Obey him, use his day the way that he says, and God will take care of you. Now, as usual, there are always questions about exceptions. Are there any exceptions to this? What can we do on the Lord's day? Well, I'm not going to answer that fully. Not today. Next week, we're going to talk more about it. But I do want to lay some groundwork for you in preparation for that message that there are some exceptions to this. The Mosaic Law included exceptions, and those, those carry on into the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. And these have always been recognized so as not to make us slaves to the Sabbath. Even the Puritans that were so strict about worship could see that there must be some exceptions to this command. Now, the first two of these we're going to look at very closely. And the third, I'll mention just briefly, we'll carry it over next week and to the third part of the outline. What can be done on the Lord's Day that's not a violation of the commandment? Well, these are the exceptions. In every good commentary, there are always three categories of exceptions to the rule. The first one is acts of mercy. And this is so clear that not only are acts of mercy allowed on the Sabbath, but they are commanded. If you have to work on the Lord's Day to show mercy, then you were to do it. You're not to shirk away from your responsibility of helping someone and use the Sabbath as an excuse not to do it. Jesus illustrated that with the healing of the man with a withered hand, and that happened on the Sabbath day. Now, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 12. Uh, we read a part of this last week, and uh, I was explaining from this chapter how that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he had the right to change it from Saturday to Sunday at his resurrection. And in the same story, he gave justification for healing on the Sabbath using the principle that it was an act of mercy. The Pharisees said, you can't do it. They prohibited it. But the Lord of the Sabbath said, yes, this is what you can do. Look at verse number 9. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had a, his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, he will not lay hold on it and lift it out. How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it is restored whole like as the other. Now you can see that the justification for healing this man was based upon the Mosaic law. The Jews said, You can't heal. That's a work. You can't do that on the Sabbath day. But then Jesus took them to the same law that they used, that they claimed said you can't do it, and he said, you can do it. Verse 11, he said to them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? And Jesus used a law that was established in Deuteronomy 22, verse 4, which says, Thou shalt not see thy brother's ass or his ox fall down by the way, 
and hide thyself from them, thou shalt surely help him to lift them up again. And so he reasoned with them. If you saw a sheep or a donkey, your sheep or your donkey or your ox fall into a ditch on the Sabbath, would you save it or would you let it die? Well, these are pretty hard folks. But there is some kindness in them. And if not kindness, they were very shrewd in their finances. That ox, the sheep, the donkey, whatever, is an expensive animal, a valuable animal. They weren't going to let their money die in the ditch. And so Jesus reasoned with them. You'll help the animal. Isn't a man better than a sheep? Isn't human life more valuable than an animal's? And so if you would save your sheep on the Sabbath, surely you would save a man, wouldn't you? And so he's just reasoning with them. It's good to do good things on the Sabbath day. But I want you to be careful how you apply this. You talk about the animals falling in the ditch and so forth. What if your cat gets caught in a rat trap on Sunday? We need to think about that one. What are we going to do about that one? But let's apply the principle as Jesus did. What if your neighbor's house catches fire on Sunday? And he comes over and he says, my house is on fire. Can you help me put it out? And you say, well, I don't think so. It's Sunday. I've got to be in church, you know. And if it's still burning tomorrow, then, then I'll come by and help you put it out. Well, you know that you wouldn't do that. You're going to go over there. You're going to take a bucket of water. You're going to help the guy fight the fire and miss church. And I think you get the picture of that. We don't really need to beat this principle. When somebody needs help, then you help them on Sunday. That's expected. And it would be a far worse testimony for you as a Christian, as a follower of the Lord God, and for Christ himself. It would be a far worse testimony not to help the helpless because the day is Sunday. No, you go and you help them. Be merciful. Meet the need. If it's a genuine need, meet it. And yes, you can go ahead and be kind to the cat. Get him out of the rat trap, take him to the vet, get him fixed up or whatever, or be merciful, put him to sleep. That will help us all. Acts of mercy. Acts of mercy on the Lord's Day are exceptions. Not only are there exceptions, but God says you must do them. And so if you're the priest or the Levite who passes by on the other side because it's Sunday and you're not going to help somebody because it's Sunday, the Word of God says you are a hypocrite. Be a good Samaritan and help. We have another category. These are acts of necessity. There are some things that have to be done on Sunday. You have to do these things every day of the week. They're not going to wait for you to skip a day. They're things that are necessary for public good. Now, have you noticed that Sunday is a big day for hospital visitation? The hospital doesn't shut down on Sunday. Now, if we could get some more faith healers to go over there, maybe it could. But the hospital doesn't shut down on Sunday. And doctors and nurses have to show up for work on Sunday because people get sick on Sundays. People die on Sundays. It happens every day of the week. Death doesn't skip a day. Sickness doesn't skip a day. Heart attacks are not limited to Mondays through Saturday. The emergency rooms are open on Sundays because there's stuff that goes on all of the time. Just ask Daniela. She spends Sunday afternoons at the emergency room quite often. That's a necessity. There are Sunday afternoons that I've gone to the hospital because it's a good day to do the right thing. When I get there, I've never said to a doctor or a nurse, why are you here? 
This is the Lord's day. What are you doing working? It's the Lord's day. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say shame on you for working on Sunday. And likewise, we need policemen and firemen on Sundays. Our church has had health care professionals. We've had policemen and first responders. I've never pulled aside a church member and said to them, God is not pleased with you because you are breaking the fourth commandment. I might say to them, you ought not to do it purposely. You shouldn't schedule yourself on Sunday if you don't have to, just so you can get extra pay. See, as a church member and as a Christian, you shouldn't specifically do that and hope for Sunday work because the paycheck will be fatter. But still, somebody does have to do that kind of work, don't they? The policemen, the firemen, doctors and nurses are not going to stand in judgment before God because they've broken the fourth commandment. And that's because the commandment allows for acts of necessity. But we do need to make sure that it's a real necessity. We're not to put ourselves in positions that because of our poor planning, we have to do something on Sunday that should have been done on the other six days of the week. Sometimes a student might say, well, I've got a test that's coming up and I've got to study on Sunday. I've got to stay home. I've got to do my schoolwork. I've got to study for the test. Well, you should have already studied. You should have stayed up late. You should have got that done because the Lord's Day is the Lord's Day. We have to be careful about what we call necessity because it's not me that you have to convince. God judges, not me. So if you run out of gas on Sunday, what do you do? Do you abandon your car? No. You go and buy the gas. But you should have done that on Saturday. If the baby doesn't have any milk, don't let him starve. Go to the store, buy the milk on Sunday. But you should have done that on Saturday, shouldn't you? Because haven't you noticed that kids eat every day of the week? Didn't you learn that? So be sure to take care of that. Notice that. Next time, do better. I was really interested in this when I read uh, what Dr. Peter Masters had to say. He, he's the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, uh, and he told a story about Charles Spurgeon, who pastored that church in the Victorian era. And in those days, there were many members of the church who worked in these large Victorian houses as servants, sort of a Downton Abbey sort of thing. And they had these duties in the houses that they just couldn't walk away from. They, they had to do this so they couldn't attend church services every week. They couldn't walk out because they needed references. And if they couldn't get a good reference, they couldn't get a job. And so that's just the social structure of the time. Well, Masters mentioned that at the time of Spurgeon, when uh, in that Victorian era, when they had this aristocracy and all of these things of servants working in the people's houses that there were 600 maids who worked in these different houses of that time that were members of the church, and there were 600 of them in one particular Sunday school class, and they could attend only once or twice in a month. They just could not get to church. Now, Master said this. He said, these are kinds of situations that are understood that the church supports rather than alienates church members that must live their lives under very difficult circumstances. And so there are times when we understand your work issues. Sometimes your employer might say to you, you've got to work on Sunday, and if you don't, you'll be fired. And I wouldn't say to you, well, just let your job go. 
just let it go to the wind and God will take care of you no matter what. I'm not going to tell you that. And that's because the Word of God, the Sabbath rule, is not so rigid as to hurt us. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But also understand that there are some necessities that are your fault. They're not exceptions. We ought to plan better. Don't put yourself in self-inflicted situations that you can't do anything but break the Sabbath. And then there are many other necessities that could be included. If you look at the world at the time that Moses lived, uh, he didn't have to worry about all the different things that we worry about. I mean, he didn't have to worry about, is there somebody working down at the nuclear power plant making sure that the reactor core doesn't melt down and there's another Chernobyl? He didn't, he didn't have to worry about that, but we do, don't we? He didn't have to worry. Are there no flight controllers that are working on Sunday because and planes are crashing everywhere? I mean, he didn't have to worry about those kinds of things. Christians have those kinds of jobs too. So we live with necessities, and the necessities have to be dealt with. But I also think that what Christians ought to do is to give more consideration to the types of careers that they choose. But still, we're going to witness to policemen and to firemen and doctors and nurses, aren't we? Of course we are. We want them to be saved, and we want them to continue to serve the public. Now, if you've got something like a professional athlete who has to play a ball game on Sunday, I hardly think that that's necessary. That's a person that needs another job. Now, finally, and I'll mention this exception, then we'll fill it in more completely next week, and that is acts of piety. These are acts that have to do with worship. Work is often involved in what we do in worship. They're, they're exceptions because they're necessary to worship and honor God on His day. Now, as, I, as I'm thinking here right now, something just popped into my mind. I was thinking about when we used to have uh, the bus ministry here at the church. I'm sure Tom could tell you there are days when working on a church bus is really work. Those things break down. What do you do? Do you leave a busload of kids sitting on the side of the road somewhere and say, back to get you tomorrow? No, you, you have to fix the bus. You've got, you got to work, and that, that's an act of piety. That's, you're going to get them to, to church. You're, you're going to make sure that they're able to worship the Lord on his day. So this is what we do. We, we have to... We have to do certain types of works in order to worship God. When the Bible says that this is a day of rest, it does not mean this is a day of rest for the couch. It's telling us that we rest from secular labor. It doesn't mean that we sleep in and we rest from everything. Secular labor, we're to leave alone, but we're to be very busy about serving the Lord on His day. Remember, it is his day. Isn't that what he says? Remember it and serve him in all the ways that he requires. And so as members of Berean, it would mean to you that you need to be here in this church to serve him on his day. You make it a habit to get up on Sunday morning and be here for Sunday school at 10 a.m. Be here at 11 o'clock for the services. Be here at 6 o'clock for the Sunday evening services. Be here. That's the kind of work that you need to do on the Lord's Day. And so your attendance on Sunday is good for you. It's good for other members of the church. It's certainly good for the pastor. So I don't have to get up here and feel like I'm the loneliest guy in town, like the Maytag repairman or something. No, let's go to church.
Let's be faithful to do that. The acts of piety are things that we are required to do on the Lord's day in our worship to him. And I can promise you this, that you will always be happier as a Christian if you follow the commandment and if you're here to worship God the way that he says to worship him, you'll do that. Real Christians want to do this. And if the desire to worship God on his day is not in your heart, then you need to very carefully consider what's going on here. What's wrong that I don't want to fellowship with God's people? What's wrong that I don't want to use my gift that God has given for the good of his church? Think about that as we come back to it next week and we look at what are the things that God says we are to do on his day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and all of us need to confess the sin of not regarding your day as we always should. We're so thankful that we have this number of people here today and the desire is here to come and to worship, to hear the word of God, to have a part in the services. Uh, We've just seen today so many young people that have, have worked hard, spent their time uh, preparing a song for the good and the enjoyment and the worship of the congregation. We thank you for that. And Lord, we just love to see that dedication from our people. And we pray, pray your richest blessings upon them because of it. Lord, forgive us for not regarding your day as we should all of the time. And forgive us even for not confessing the sin that we, as we should when we haven't regarded your day as holy. Lord, we thank you so much for what Jesus did that he arose, he died, and he arose on the first day of the week. And we're here to commemorate that recreation of man, the new birth that is possible because of the resurrection from the dead, the sacrifice of Christ for our sins. Help us today, Lord, to honor you and obey you in this commandment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Important part of this that we will get to, didn't have much time to talk about today, that is the, the benefits that we get because we do honor the Lord's day. I mean, it's not just the rest for the body. I mean, that, that's good for us. Uh, and, I, and I said that the Lord expects us to do it because we will receive that benefit from it. But the spiritual benefits of being with God's people on the Lord's day are unmatched by anything that you can do. There's just nothing that you can do that rises above The worship of the Lord on his day and the fellowship that you have with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I encourage you uh, to come back tonight. Today is the Lord's day. Come back tonight because tonight I want to talk to you some. When we talk about church membership, part of the message tonight is going to deal with the benefits that we get from being a church member. What has God blessed us with? Because we can come together on his Lord on the Lord's Day to fellowship with one another. I encourage you to come back and hear that. I think that it will help you. Uh, Let's honor his day. And when we don't, be careful to confess this sin as you do all other sins because you don't want to walk around with this unconfessed sin upon you that I haven't asked God to forgive me for not doing his, uh, obeying his day, as he said, this fourth commandment. Let's sing another verse of our song. Maybe God's working in your heart on this issue even today. I hope that he is. I hope that the message is a benefit for us that we'd want to consider. Am I faithful? Am I, am I being faithful as I should? Think about that. Ask God to forgive you if you haven't. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. 
If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.